Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending the, and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of, a good, out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I, put, I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me, Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Well, I do have your Bibles open at Philippians chapter 1. We're just going to be focusing in on verses 12 to 18. We read a little bit more to give us some uh, sense of the context. I want to think about a bigger vision. A bigger vision from these verses. Now, it, it really isn't the kind of question that we often uh, ask ourselves in any explicit way. But I wonder, could you give an answer to the question of, of what it is that you're truly living for? What are your deepest hopes? You see, the thing is, 
all too often, even for those of us who are followers of the Lord Jesus, so often the things that occupy uh, most of our time, our attention, uh, our disposable income, they're actually things that are related to our own comforts, uh, to our own enjoyment, to our own security. You know, those things aren't wrong, but if it becomes that those are the things that we're, we're living for, those are the things that have captivated our hearts, then we've really got a problem. If those things are our goals, we need a bigger vision. Or if our dreams are, above everything else, of a certain kind of home or a certain kind of holiday, uh, a certain level of prosperity, uh, uh, a certain kind of retirement, or anything else like that. We need a bigger vision. And if we're hoping just simply for a quiet and contented life, we need a bigger vision. You see, no matter how good those things may be, if they're kept in their proper place, they are just not adequate to become the focus of our hopes and our dreams. Yeah, we can, we can hope for them and work for them in a certain way, but as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, our hearts need to be captivated by far greater goals. Goals that, unlike all our lesser aspirations, cannot be frustrated. Goals and hopes that, unlike our dreams of a better life, will never actually be disappointing and underwhelming or, or lose their shine once we actually attain them. You see, in this passage that we read, uh, we see the Apostle Paul, although he's a prisoner of Rome, as he writes, laying out his hopes and his goals, and that's gonna, that continues into the rest of the chapter too. And what we find in Paul is a far bigger vision than the kind of things that all too often we tend to place our hopes in. We find that he is living for things where he can find the fulfillment of his hopes even while he's imprisoned. That cannot take away what he's living for. Even though he has personal enemies working against him, even then he can see good things happening. The things that he is longing for, he's seeing God at work. And so to anticipate what he'll say in chapter 4, he's able to be content. He's able even to rejoice in the painful circumstances that he finds himself in. So what is it then that Paul is living for? Because we, we need to capture his bigger vision, don't we? Well, let me put it, uh, if you like, more negatively first of all from verses 12 to 14, and then more positively after that. First of all, in verses 12 to 14, he is living for something bigger than me. Living for something bigger than me. And when you consider what Paul's circumstances are like when he writes this letter, his focus in these verses becomes all the more remarkable. Um, he, he's a prisoner, and it seems most likely he was, probably, he was under house arrest, we assume, in Rome, rather than languishing in a dungeon. But nonetheless, he is a prisoner. He's guarded constantly, verse 13, by soldiers from the palace guard. 
He's awaiting the outcome of his, his appeal to Caesar, it would seem. That's the point at which the book of Acts closes. And so his life really is hanging in the balance. One word from the emperor and his life will be over. Under those kind of circumstances, what would we have written if it had been our job to sort, of, to sort of ghostwrite a missionary prayer letter for the Apostle Paul? What would our prayer requests have been on behalf of Paul? Please pray that the emperor would rule in my favor so I can get back to the work of ministry, maybe. Or pray that I be kept safe and that my imprisonment would come to an end. Yet you don't find those requests anywhere in Paul's letters. Now, it doesn't mean that Paul doesn't want to be set free doesn't mean that the people weren't praying those things for him. In fact, it just the next verse after our little passage ends, in verse 19, he says, I know that through your prayers, he says, I, think, I believe these things will turn out for my deliverance. Uh, he says when he writes to Philemon in verse 22 uh, of that little letter, he says, prepare the guest room for me because I hope that God will answer your prayers and return me to you soon. So they were praying for those things. And Paul was glad that they were. It's just that's not what he wanted them to focus their prayers on. You see, on on the previous page, uh, at the end of the letter to the Ephesians, uh, again, another letter written in prison. He asks, pray, in verse 20, that I may declare the gospel fearlessly as I should. That's his first prayer request. Pray that I may uh, declare the gospel fearlessly as I should. And similarly here in Philippians, his focus is is not on what his personal circumstances are like. Rather, he, he wants the Philippians to know, guys, great news. The fact of my imprisonment has contributed to the spread of the gospel. Because of this, more people have heard about Jesus. Now, you know, I don't think we should pretend that being a prisoner, uh, awaiting news of whether he would live or die, was just, you know, just water off a duck's back to him because he was a mighty apostle. I don't think that's right. I don't think it was that he just looked down on such petty concerns because he was a giant of the faith. I'm sure he had his struggles. He wasn't just some you know, irrepressible Tigger character who you couldn't keep down. But at the same time, even in the midst of all that, he certainly did have a very clear focus that transcended those obvious concerns about his immediate circumstances and meant that even there, he could still find reasons for joy, even though though he didn't know if his life was about to be cut, cut short. And you see, that reason for joy is that God's purposes were not standing still, but they were advancing, uh, and not in spiting, uh, advancing in spite of what was happening to Paul, but they were advancing through what was happening to Paul, through those painful circumstances. Look what he says. Because he's in prison, there's this constant cycle of hardened Roman guards chained to him in verse 13. They are not allowed to leave him. 
They are not allowed to harm him if they don't like what he's saying. They're simply there to make sure he doesn't go anywhere uh, and to make sure that he's available whenever Caesar is ready to either to hear his case or to deliver his verdict. So they're stuck there with one of the most passionate evangelists that the world has ever known. And as a result, he says, great news. He says, the whole palace guard, verse 13, has heard about Jesus. That's about 9,000 soldiers. Now, I don't think all 9,000 of them were personally, you know, had their turn on guard with Paul, but no doubt such uh, a unique person would have been the talk of the barracks when they got back off duty. What an exciting opportunity for the gospel, Paul says. What might that attitude look like for us today? I wonder. One of the uh, most remarkable books that I've read recently, in recent years, was by a young widowed missionary called Emily Foreman. And it was the account of her family's life and ministry in a closed North African country until her husband Stephen was murdered by Islamic extremists in 2010 because he'd become known as such an attractive witness to Christ. But part of her purpose in telling her story is to insist that the risky decisions that they took were absolutely worth it. Despite the the indescribable pain that she has experienced, she says, look, it is worth it. And she's writing, wanting to challenge her, her, her fellow American Christians particularly, many of whom are deeply, deeply suspicious of Muslim immigrants. And she says this, she says, what if in choosing the fear that we may lose our country because of immigrants coming in, we actually lose our ability to be salt and light to a lost world? Is it worth it? Sometimes the pursuit of safety can be at odds with doing what is right. Uh, The book, if you want to read it for yourself, is called We Died Before We Came Here. Uh, And although that's a powerful story because it's so contemporary, I guess it still feels pretty remote to us. Because after all, it takes a very particular personality and gifting uh, to be able to shoulder such extreme risks uh, and challenges. And God has quite simply not made most of us that way probably safe to say that is not our calling any of us in this room just at a guess statistically but you see those stories like Paul's story before it are still so inspiring to us uh, because what Paul found in his sufferings was what the influences had on uh, us if you like if we can call them the ordinary Christians we don't have that particular gift to be able to do those extraordinary things but the impact of that On them, in their own circumstances, verse 14, because of my chains, he says, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. You see, if if sharing Jesus is so important uh, as to put Paul in prison, as to lead the Foreman family to lead them to, to set up home in a place where they knew their lives would be under threat... How can I justify keeping silent to my friends and family? So the stories of their boldness 
should embolden us too. I think we can apply this in a different direction as well. Because in our, sort of, in our post-COVID world, there's been such a rise in fear, hasn't there? And people are fearful simply of getting ill nowadays. It's almost as though the, the pandemic has underlined a sense in our society that we believe that really nothing bad ought to happen to us and we should take every precaution to stop anything bad like getting ill happening to us. So we're prepared to, to sacrifice so many other things rather than take those risks, which are maybe quite small risks. Even if we lose far greater things in the process, like church or community life. And I'm talking in general here. I'm not trying to get all political about, you know, should there have been lockdowns, that sort of thing. Quite possibly we needed a lockdown. Uh, don't want to argue about that. But it seems to have imbibed a spirit of fear in so many people. What are our prayers about? Are we more concerned uh, primarily that we would conquer COVID or monkeypox or deal with the cost of living crisis or whatever it is? Or is it even more that God would use those things to make Jesus known, to wake people up to the, the emptiness and the hopelessness of life without Christ? And stay safe. It was as fine as, a, as a, a slogan to remind us to take sensible precautions about the virus. It's rubbish as a way of life. Rubbish as something to live for. Absolutely empty. Are you praying only that you and those you love will be kept safe? Or do you share Paul's bigger vision? Praying that the Lord would use your circumstances, whether they're good or whether they're bad, to point to Jesus and to make much of him. We don't, we don't seek out suffering. We aim to be wise, we want to be responsible. But we can rejoice that when it is our Father's all-wise plan to allow suffering into our lives always has a purpose for his kingdom and for his glory. Always. And yes, sometimes the Lord may call us to take on risks for the sake of his kingdom. For we, we do follow a master who said not, make yourself comfortable and follow me. But take up your cross and follow me. Paul is living for Something so much bigger than just me. If we turn around and look at it a little more positively from the remaining verses, verses 15 to 18, we say this, he was living for making Jesus known. He wasn't just interested in ideas or systems. You can, all sorts of ideas and isms can get passionate advocates who will get excited and they'll be determined that these are the, these are the uh, answers to humanity's problems, whatever it is, your Marxism, nationalism, capitalism, protectionism, uh, transhumanism nowadays, you know, we're going to uh, you know, fuse our bodies with technology so we can become immortal. But do you notice his emphasis here in Philippians 1? He's not interested in ideas, but in a person. Paul is living for making Jesus 
known. And that fact really comes to the fore in these verses because three times he talks about preaching Christ. As fifteen, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy. Uh, verse 17, the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition. Verse 18, what's it matter? The important thing is that however they do it, Christ is preached. That's the one thing that absolutely must happen. He says, come what may. Because you see, in Jesus Christ, Paul finds someone who is so amazing, so gracious, so merciful, so mighty, so glorious, so loving, so compelling. He has been so gripped by what he has found in Jesus Christ that it is inconceivable to him that he shouldn't strain every fiber of his being to make Jesus known so that he may be worshipped and honored as he ought to be by more and more people. You see, Christianity is not just a system of beliefs and doctrines for those who are into that sort of thing. It's not a code for living. It certainly does have a rich and a deep system of doctrine and of ethics that are crucial for the health of the church, but they are only crucial because they unpack for us the truth about the person. Who God is revealed to us through the Lord Jesus Christ and what it means to follow him. That's why those things matter. Paul has been so gripped by Christ that he is all that matters. Even, even when others within the church are making Jesus known from bad motives, hoping somehow or other to hurt Paul through it. Even then, Paul can rejoice because, well, it's Jesus that they're making known and that's what I'm about. It seems that there were some people who, for whatever reason, had taken a personal dislike to Paul. Perhaps they objected to some, uh, some aspects of his teaching. Uh, but now that Paul is imprisoned and so limited in what he was able to do, uh, maybe they were going about trying to make a name for themselves, trying to gather followers as once Paul had, hoping to show themselves to be, well, so much more successful than that Paul fella. But you see, for all their sinful motivations, at least they've been proclaiming the truth about Jesus. And when people came along who diluted the importance of Christ by teaching, uh, for example, uh, the importance of my doing right things for God to save me, well, when that comes up in chapter 3, he's going to spare no energy to denounce those people in the strongest of terms. But these are the different. They, they are actually sharing Jesus, albeit from tragically sinful motives. And, you know, they, we can still find preachers and leaders out there today like that. You know, there have been those who, whose ministries I have benefited from over the years, but who, over time, you know, it's, it's begun to feel like it's more about them than it is about Jesus. They, you know, they give the impression that they're the ones who can sort out you know, all the problems that the church has been wrestling with for centuries and that sort of thing. And sadly, those kinds of ministries often fall apart. And those leaders are exposed for what they are. And when that happens, there's always people there who are ready. And they're ready to step forward and say, See? See, I told you this had happened. I told you this had happened. Denounce that person's ministry. 
But what Paul does here is he rejoices that more people heard about Jesus, even if it wasn't in the ideal way. And he does that as the person who those other preachers deliberately had in their sights. They were gunning for him, wanting to knock Paul off his top spot. But that doesn't matter to him. Because he wasn't interested in going about the place setting up uh, something called you know, Apostle Paul Ministries International or something like that. Rather, well, he, he'd been given gifts by God and those gifts had brought him to prominence. But he used that to point people away from himself to Christ. Being honoured by his contemporaries was not what Paul was interested in. It wasn't the game he was in. This is how he put it to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This is verses 3 and 4. Um, let me give you in the New Living Translation. This puts it quite nicely. As for me, he says, it, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. It is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. He is absolutely out of the reputation game, of the prestige game. And so as long as these teachers are going to genuinely point people to Jesus, Paul is willing to put the other issues to one side, even when that issue is that they wanted to get one over on Paul himself. No doubt, if there had been an appropriate opportunity, Paul would have sought to put these selfish preachers right but that opportunity certainly was not hitting back in public. Now think back through the history of the Apostle Paul. Isn't that a remarkable attitude who used to be so determined to gain superiority over these Christ followers that he was prepared to take sort of whatever measures it needed to persecute them and to sort of wipe them out, a kind of you know, religious SAS for the, uh, the, for the uh, high council in Jerusalem. Where else can this come from? But from the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Spirit, Paul's heart has been captivated by a far bigger vision that just leaves any sort of Paul way back in the distance. I need this heart to grow in me, don't you? Will you join me in praying that we would grow in this captivated love for the Lord Jesus Christ? That leaves all those other things to one side. Whether it's the issues that we get so het up about, whether it's the impact on ourselves, whatever it may be, we so need to capture Paul's vision here, don't we? George Whitfield uh, was one of the leading figures in the great 18th century revival of Christianity that we call the Great Awakening. He was massively, massively influential on both sides of the Atlantic, instrumental in literally thousands of people becoming Christians. And, you know, it was never about Whitfields. You see, like Paul, he was captured by a bigger vision. So he could say things like this, let my name die everywhere. Let even my friends forget me if by that means the cause of the blessed Jesus may be promoted. And perhaps most, most memorably and pithily he put it, let the name of Whitfield perish, 
but Christ be glorified. That's the heart that we need growing in us if we'll be useful servants of the Lord Jesus. That's how God founded his church, through the likes of the Apostle Paul. That's how God set his church alight in the 18th century by Whitfield and his friends. It's how people in a closed Muslim country came to hear of Jesus through the likes of the foremans. It's how he'll build his kingdom here too in Leamington Spa in 2022 when we are captivated, when we are living for a far bigger vision of the Lord Jesus Christ.